Hello and welcome to Matt Ford Sports Party, my new sports-based comedy and chat show as broadcast on TalkSport um, to record it live at the St. James's studio in Victoria in London. And if you'd like to come to the next one, tickets are available on the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. Very excited about our two guests, Dave Bassett, who obviously achieved a triple promotion run with uh, Wimbledon and got my beloved Nottingham Forest into the Premier League in 1998. And uh, top comedian and good friend of mine, John Richardson, and another special guest yet to be announced. And that is on Thursday, the 20th of November, 8 o'clock, at the St. James Studio at the St. James Theatre. This podcast features the wonderful Jimmy Bullard, the excellent Ramesh Ranganathan, and uh, the eccentric Eric Hall. Uh, this was recorded at the St. James Studio a few weeks ago and then broadcast on TalkSport. Uh, I mean, it's mad. Enjoy it. The following programme contains swearing and may not be suitable for younger listeners. Hey now! It's your favourite night of the week. Tonight, join Matt Ford and his celebrity guests from the worlds of sport, comedy and entertainment. Live on tape from the St James's Theatre London, it's Matt Ford's Sports Party on Talk Sport. Hello, welcome to the St James' studio uh, for a new show, Matt Ford's Sports Party, uh, being broadcast on TalkSport. Welcome, uh, one and all. I'm a big sports fan, uh, as I take it most of you are. I'm a fan of uh, Nottingham Forest Football Club. Uh, they're probably my two mates uh, that have come down. Uh, not many Forest fans usually around. Um, I'm a massive fan of Forest uh, and I love football. It's my first love as a kid. Uh, I was obsessed with uh, Stuart Pearce as a kid. I remember having a chat with my mum uh, when I was coming back from primary school when she gave me that talk that a lot of parents give their young sons. She said, look, when you're coming back from school, don't take sweets off strangers. Don't get into people's cars you don't know. And if anyone tries to touch your privates, you've got to let me know because it's wrong. And age just seven, I said to my mum, even if it's Stuart Pearce. <laughs> because I was so convinced he was a decent man. I presume if he was having a rummage, he'd just lost his studs. Or uh, there was some innocent explanation for his behaviour. Uh, tragic, really, level of trust I had in the man. Brian Clough was Forest manager when I first started supporting Forest. Uh, and I was a mascot for a Forest game once. And... Um, <laughs> This was about eight weeks before he lost the forest job, and it was a bad time to meet him, really, because I had really bad eczema on my face, uh, and he was completely out of his. <laughs> he was, it was the first time I'd smelled alcohol in a human being before, and it smelled good. Uh, it's been quite an idol of mine as a result of it since, but I met him, and uh, I'd really bad eczema on my face, so I was very nervous. And what they don't tell you is, oh, when you're a mascot, back then, this is 1993, uh, all the players, when you go into the changing room, are naked. I was eye-height with Roy Keane's penis... <laughs> For seven minutes. And I knew it was seven minutes because counting was the only way to deal with it. I could pick that thing out of a lineup tomorrow. Uh, so I'm stood there looking at Roy King's naked body, uh, and uh, then they say, Oh, you can meet uh, the manager, you can meet Brian Clough. Uh, so I met Brian Clough, and uh, it was a big honour for me. And they said, Oh, Matthew, this is Mr. Clough. Uh, Mr. Clough, this is Matthew, he's the mascot. And the first thing he said to me, he said, Bloody hell, son, you are an ugly bugger. <laughs> He said, what's that on your face, young man? I said, oh, it's eczema, because you look like you've been headbutting pizzas all afternoon. <laughs> I've got eczema. He said, come in here, we'll give you something for it. And he took me into the... Um, God, I wasn't sure what he was going to do at that point. Um, he, he took me into the physio's office and gave me some stuff called Betnovate. Now, I put it on my face, and it, my eczema was really bad as a kid. It almost cured it. It was incredible. I went back to my GP as a kid. He said, why, have you taken wheat out of your diet or dairy or something? 
I said, no, I've, I've put Betnovate on it. He said, you can't put it on your face. It was developed on horses. It can give you skin cancer. Where on earth did you get it? <laughs> it so Brian Clough gave it me. <laughs> I said, oh, Cluffy, you met Cluffy. I said, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. But the skin cancer business. Oh, yeah, what did Cluffy say? Was he all right? Was he get his autograph? Years later, I got a photo of me and Brian Clough on that day. If you do, you get a mascot. And... Uh, of him in his green jumper hugging me in my forest kit. And I took this photo along to a book signing that he did just a few years before he died. And I queued up, and uh, I thought, lightning can't strike twice. He'll probably be nice to me this time. <laughs> I got to the front of the queue. I said, uh, oh, uh, hello, Mr Clough. Um, can you sign this photo as well? He went, ah, oh, I looked a lot better back then. So do you, you fat bastard. <laughs> and signed it. What a legend. Uh, so I wanted to be a footballer. By the age of about nine years old, I realised I was too unfit to be a footballer. It's a very young age to realise you're too fat to play football. And I just thought I wanted to be a commentator. Because some of those great sporting moments that I remembered weren't just for the, for the players themselves, but for the commentary over it as well. And Motson was my idol. Um, and I used to get to the forest ground like three or four hours before kick-off when I had a season to get down there as a kid. Uh, and Motson... I loved, for a particular bit of commentary in Euro 96, England against Scotland and Gascoigne's great goal, um, where Motson is commentating for the British Broadcasting Corporation on England versus Scotland, so it has to remain neutral, right? Gascoigne scores this goal, Motson absolutely loses his mind, realises where he is, and then goes into the most articulate piece of commentary I've ever heard. He does this, oh, Gascoigne, oh, brilliant, oh, yes! Oh, what a pertinent answer to all his critics. <laughs> So silky smooth. And I met him, and my mate was like, oh, you should do your Motson impression to him when you meet him. Uh, so I thought, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, I, I bottled it the first time, and then the following year when Match of the Day came back to the city ground, I thought, I'll do it. I thought, I wonder if you'll notice. Now, to this day, I don't know whether Motty got the joke or not, but judge for yourself, right? I went up to him, I said, uh, John, pleased to meet you. You may remember the first time he met was the time when Nottingham Forest needed just a draw on the last game of the season in order to qualify for Europe. And he just went, is that so? And signed it. <laughs> Still don't know if he got it or not. No idea. Uh, but like football punditry has moved on a lot, hasn't it? Since like match of the day, even though match of the day is still on, like Sky has just become this sort of pornographic, non-stop like titillation juggernaut that is just the most incredible and the most addictive thing on TV, particularly when it's deadline day. Jim White exists for like one. He's like Santa. One big day a year, Jim White gets. It's, it's deadline day. Uh, it's transfer deadline day. Pizza Oidon Wingy has turned up at QPR. All that sort of man stuff. And this is going to be incredible. What is going on? He's got his yellow tie on. All the ladies are wearing yellow. This is brilliant. If I was Jim White, for the rest of the year, I'd just be inventing other deadline days to keep myself occupied. Welcome to Jim White's house. It's milk deadline day. It was meant to go off yesterday, but sauce is close to the fridge. They will only go in a joint deal with butter and bread. The problem I have when I watch sport is that I always end up talking about sport in the style of the commentary in which it is delivered. I've really got into boxing in the last five years because I'm a big Carl Froch fan. I can't go to a fight now and talk about it afterwards without sounding like a Sky Sports boxing commentator. So, yeah, I was at the Froch Groves fight. Yeah, how was it? It was absolutely incredible. Froch was some incredible bodywork in the fifth, really working Groves, and then going upstairs, and it was clear that Groves had the fight of his life on his hands, and then that devastating overhand right in the eighth destroyed George Groves. <laughs> yeah, we get the Jubilee line, mate, or should we... Uh... <laughs> should we just walk it? I love it. I love it. I have sports, I've like their different voices, like Snoocross is a different thing. And boxing commentary, I just think, is the most perfect commentary. You can only commentate on boxing like that. 
You can't commentate on other sports because sometimes I get addicted to hyper. Every sport should be like boxing. But you can't have like life from the crucible. Ronnie O'Sullivan absolutely destroyed by that double kiss on the pink. And, and Paul and Pete Edden even. <laughs> In the melee, his brother started playing. <laughs> has absolutely destroyed him. And equally, you can't have it the other way around. You couldn't have like snooker style commentary on boxing. That'd be ridiculous. Oh, where's that left hand going? <laughs> <laughs> Be good though, wouldn't it? Uh, has anyone bought Roy Keane's autobiography? No, not a single person at a sports gig has bothered to. See, the problem is, uh, uh, Roy Keane was obviously a Forest legend, it uh, still is, that's what legends are. Uh... <laughs> but I really want to read it. The problem I have with it is he's sort of is his character. I don't sort of. There's something about Roy Keane that scares me, especially with that beard. It looks like a man who is stockpiling tins in case of the apocalypse. <laughs> There's something deeply sinister about him, isn't there? You read his book, it's so horrible. Like, his first one, the stuff about Alf Inger Harland, I don't know if you remember this, he deliberately injured Alf Inger Harland in order to end his career and then stood over him. I was, he was signing copies of that to kids. Now, I don't know if you've read many autobiographies of footballers, but on the whole, they tend to be quite tedious affairs. They're fairly straightforward, particularly in the olden days. When my granddad died, I in, uh, inherited uh, a lot of his old football books. I've I got an excerpt for you here, just to sort of contrast what these used to be like. Um, this is one from my granddad's collection. Um, it's by, uh, I don't know if there are any Shrewsbury Town fans in. <laughs> I mean, that would be a push in Shrewsbury these days, wouldn't it? Let alone in London. Uh, this is the autobiography of a guy called Albert Lightfoot. Uh, he played for uh, Shrewsbury from 1932 to 1949. Just the diff- I mean, this is just football from a purer age. The end of the week was my favourite part of the week because we'd get free Bob to go down Mr Crinkle's sweet shop and have whatever we liked. <laughs> Mad, isn't it? I always chose cost sweets because they lasted longest. <laughs> Once the shop owner said, I haven't paid for all my sweets, we cracked up. Of course, Lightfoot never existed. Uh, I go, oh, God, I want to buy that. That sounds incredible. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some uh, amazing guests uh, to be getting on with. Uh, and my first guest uh, is a remarkable individual in football. In an age where people say that there aren't any personalities in football anymore, uh, my first guest is someone who absolutely proves that wrong. He had a phenomenal career playing for teams like Wigan, uh, Peterborough, Hull, West Ham, and uh, was called up to the England camp in 2008, although sadly never got a cap. Um, really shouldn't have ended on that fact. <laughs> it's made it quite morose, hasn't it? He was sadly never camped for England. Uh, he's an absolute legend. Please welcome my first guest, Mr Jimmy Bullard. Thanks, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Grab a seat. Uh, oh, it's different being up here. Yeah, it's not, it's not like question time. It seems like it. I'm sorry, you haven't answered the question. <laughs> what would you do about Iraq? Um, now, we talked about autobiographies there. Uh, you've got an autobiography out. Ben, ben didn't like yeah. Bullard. Has anyone bought mine in here, by the way? No, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I only needed one cheer. Let's move on. Um, uh, you, you got the autobiography out, Bend It Like Bullard. Were you yeah. tempted, because you must have seen a whole load of stuff in your playing <laughs> career, to do a proper, like, warts and all stuff about, like, other players and, and say, maybe settle a few scores? Yeah, I, di- I didn't really feel comfortable going down that road. I just wanted to tell my own story, which was warped enough, if you want. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm not... I-, I left a bit on a few managers more than players. Like, I had Roy Hodgson's and Capello. I talk about them quite a bit. But other players, um, just mate stories, really, gags and what we got up to in change rooms and um, hotel rooms. What are you lost there? Well, no, watch? it was just it was my watch. <laughs> gone fishing for something. Well, no, like to... It's starting to worry me. It's just so that I can have it there and then it doesn't get really <laughs> doesn't really if I look at it. Whereas if I have it on okay. my wrist and I'm sat there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right, okay. <laughs> Let's have a break. So I'm on I've only been out here five minutes. <laughs> um, you're well known, obviously, as a prankster, and your book covers a lot of the pranks that you played. What was the... Yeah. I mean, in terms of some of your best pranks, do any immediately spring to mind? Yeah, well, writing a book so hard to get it across. Um, a lot of my stuff's done with, in a change room, I suppose, with 20 blokes with a lot of testosterone. So just the likes of if you just put railjects in someone's toothpaste and know it's coming and watching them brush their teeth, you know... Um, what with, is when railjects? When 19 of you's na- It's like a deep heat rub. Oh! So when 19 of you's know he's going to put it in his mouth <laughs> and there's only one fella going to go and do it, it's quite funny. <laughs> but trying to put it in a book, it sounds crap. Do you get what I mean? So a lot of in-the-moment stuff with me, but the writer, Gersh Petroni, who I was with, has done an unbelievable job getting it over in sort of the way I talk, which isn't great English. Oh, don't so, talk yourself yeah. down, Jimmy. Um, uh, uh, not talking myself down, I just don't talk good English. Do you know what I'm trying to say, though? I'm trying to... Didn't get a word, mate, no. Right, OK. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm your guest. You shouldn't be treating me like this. But some of your pranks are famous, weren't they? You've had some big ones in your time. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think now off the cuff, you got me. But yeah, I'd, to be Monker's honest. Monker's car was one I heard about. Johnny Monk, yeah, well, there, there was two. Johnny Monk, you know, one, he just left a box of fish under one of the boys' motor. Didn't know how long it was there for, there for two weeks. Stunk the, stunk the motor out, literally had to change the motor. And the other one was Razor Nick Shacker's car. Yeah. He only parked it down the road, but Shacker actually thought it was robbed, like, and, but Razor wouldn't tell him. So it was like five o'clock come, he phoned him and goes, yeah, you know, it's only up the road, like. But that actually went on. That was stuff that actually went on and, like... But it does get... I mean, it feels... It sounds like quite a homoerotic atmosphere, doesn't it? Lots of testosterone mad, yeah. and lots of men together. I mean, there was a fake quote. I don't know if anyone saw it from Roy Keane's autobiography that was exposed as a fake about the size of Gary Neville's penis. That's a lie. Well, well, in, in, well I haven't told you what it said yet. <laughs> <laughs> It was, there was a fake quote going around on the internet that I fell for that Roy Keane had said that Gary Neville had a, a tiny willy. Oh, uh, right, and it that's out, true. Turned... <laughs> <laughs> but was there any sort of, you know, in the showers with the fellas, was there ever any sort of competition in that department? Yeah, of course, you have a look, don't you? You know, you, <laughs> every man here, you can't tell me, you have a sneaky look. That's just, like, that's just human nature. Um, well, is um, our mind works, anyway. <laughs> and, yeah, but, and then if you've got a small one, you put your hands down, don't you, or wear your pants... That's just the way it is. I wouldn't know. Uh, (laughs) My mate told me, yeah. Um, I mean, you got up to a lot of stuff as a player as well, as well as being... It's wrong to just sort of talk about you as a person, aren't you? You're a phenomenal talent, a great footballer um, at at the height of your powers. And that's why you got a call up to the England side in 2008. And truly loved by the public as well. Uh, for the way that you played football and, and then obviously for your personality. Um, but you got yourself into trouble a fair few times um, yeah. at, at Ipswich for going on a two-day session with Michael Chopra. <laughs> yeah. I, um, just basically, yeah, that's it, really. Um, what, what happened there? What, what happened? I've always got an, an excuse. <laughs> it's nice to... So basically, Paul Jewell was the manager and he, um, he hated the boys going on benders anyway. He hated the boys. And it was Christmas. And he said... Um, you can go out in London, but I don't want you going anywhere else. Now, I'm thinking, well, he's obviously got a chaperone, someone around looking at us, like, so knowing what we get up to. So um, there was 20, I think there's 23 of us, so me and Chops, Chops being, here's a Newcastle boy born and bred, and um, we was having a drink. We was in the Mayfair Hotel around the corner, and I remember him saying, do you fancy going to Newcastle? Just like that. <laughs> and me, being the only one, went, yeah. <laughs> 
sounds a hell of an idea because I was brought up in London. I really don't like it in London. I've been everywhere and I was like, no, I've had enough. So we just basically took a big bottle of vodka and just went on a train. <laughs> like, true. Like, I'm not even messing about. Like, straight up the Newcastle, not even thinking of consequences. And we drank the whole bottle of vodka. I can't even remember coming off the train. I was absolutely pissed. Had a day out. It was meant to be a one day. It was meant to go back in training on the Wednesday. Um, had the day out on the Wednesday. Just completely didn't want to go training. Like, what, how does that even enter your head? Being a professional football player, you should be in training. Come back on the Thursday. And the manager says, you're a day late. And me and Chuck's like, nah, what are you on about? You said we, we made out that he, we thought we could, because we both turned our phones off. And we both said, no, you said we could have Wednesday off. We thought we'd blag it. It's never going to happen. <laughs> and, um, but this is the thing I didn't get. Chops was our like, goal scorer. I think he was like our saving grace, if you want. And I was sort of coming towards the end of my career and I wasn't really getting picked for the team. And um, Paul Jewell, he pulled me in the office and he went, well, I'm going to suspend you for two weeks and I'm going to find Chops. And I went, well, hang on a minute. I'll get a, sus- I'll get a suspension... And he gets a fine. How does that work? So, yeah, I was two weeks at home twiddling my thumbs and Chop's still playing on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. And, but we've both done the same sort of thing wrong, so I didn't get that. But that's, that's the story, basically. <laughs> was it difficult? Obviously, you're getting, you're getting paid decent money. You, I mean, you have a lot of time off as a footballer as well. Like you've, got, you've got your games and your training, but I imagine there's a lot of spare time. Is it hard to not drink? Um, yeah... <laughs> I'm not, a ma- I'm not a massive drinker. It isn't the first thing on my mind. But as soon as I have one, I can't stop. <laughs> um, so, no, when you get a lot of time off, I, I have loads of hobbies. I have golf fishing that a lot of people know about. So, you know, I'm... Golf fishing? Golf fishing, yeah. Have you not tried it? <laughs> golf and fishing, sorry. <laughs> and in the middle of them two. Um, yeah, golf and my fishing are my two hobbies. So they keep me sort of, what I say, out of trouble, if you want. Do you find um, with other players that they are of the same mind are most footballers fairly level headed now and try and do other oh, things that are um, sensible or no. are there a few that still will sneak off a cheeky bit is it more difficult now to, to drink in the way that they might have done even in the 90s it's just more difficult in general you know the press are on top of the boys so much now um, I think press have done it you know um, press have caused that but yeah you should be professional in what you do you know if you want to reach the top you've got to but since I see I was my first club was West Ham Football Club. See, I was brought up with what I call the old school football player. We used to have fish and chips on a Friday before we went out to Saturday. Now, towards my end of my career, you don't even eat fish. You don't even sniff fish and chips. So it isn't as close. You haven't got as many what I call characters in the game that can go out and be themselves because everyone there is too scared to really be themselves. So you sort of opinionate football players... Like, they're all the same, but they're not. There's so many characters and individuals in amongst the football team. But because you're outside looking in, you don't see the real, the real person. So who were some of the great characters that you played with? From start to finish. Some of the highlights? Um, a lot, my West Ham, I keep going back to my West Ham days. I signed with a player called Pallet Decano the same day, and he wasn't right. He just... <laughs> Nah, if I could tell you stuff he'd done, like, I'm telling you, I'm, oh, he's not right. Oh, God. Yeah, he's not right. He, well, base, I can't, I can't. No, really, it's, it's literally really bad. Like, it, well, he killed it's him. so bad, I couldn't... <laughs> no, but... Um, <sighs> Maimed him. I just, nah, I can't, I can't. I really can't. Later on, I played with a player called um, Michael Flynn. Yeah. Who was a non-league player, which, well, he... 
he come from nothing really. He, he was non-league player, come from absolutely nothing. He signed for five hundred pound a week at Wigan Football Club, and he literally spent money like he signed a five million pound contract. <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? He bought an X5 the first week, right? An X5 was a fifty thousand pound motor back then, and I know he can't afford it. And it come in, it looked like he had about eight car crashes. It was like that down the side. And basically, it was a back of an X5 and a front of a Frontera. <laughs> and we, all the boys were looking, going, are you all right, Flinny, buying this? And then he lived on the same state as a lot of the boys, and the house cost £400,000. He bought that the second week. And that's, this is what some boys get up to, you know. They're the characters, and he just was so funny. Do you feel like there is a pressure sometimes in clubs? And obviously, even in big clubs, players will be on vastly different wages yeah. for people to sort of keep up with the... Bullards. <laughs> Not me, yeah. I only come into big money towards the end of my contract. But as I was going on about this Michael Flynn character, he was just, yeah, it's just... Um, What's your question again? I was just rambling. Well, do, do the players feel like they've got to show that they're as wealthy as the others? Well, he certainly did. <laughs> it's like, not everyone. You know, I've always been very careful. I've always knew when retirement, you know, this career doesn't last very long. I knew this was around the corner and that always scared me. So I was always really careful with my money. But, um, yeah, some of the boys, yeah, I, I'm, I get asked that question quite a bit. And they spend it like it's confetti. They chuck it about like ridiculous. Because it's amazing how many have played in the Premier League era as well mm. in a skin. Um, Hendry, lot, yeah. very famously, in some yeah. tragic interviews I've read with him, and he seems to have sorted his life out now. But people, normal people just can't get their head around the fact you could earn so much. And then at the end of career, I've almost be bankrupt, some of them. Yeah, if you if you don't look it's in any walk, like, if you don't look after it and um, manage it correctly, and a lot of trust issues as well. You hear a lot of stories being a football player that you know a financial advisor had him over this and that, and so before you know it, you're like, I don't trust anyone, you know. So you sort of in your own little world of your little family, if you're not being bought over a lot of money, it's and being told how to spend it or look after it, it's quite difficult, you know. Do the clubs give you any help with that as a young player? Mm, no, I've never understood that as well. And you can sign an eighteen. Wayne Rooney, perfect example, sign up a contract like that, which was, would have been £1,000 a week, and then just leave him to go out and spend it. Like It's dangerous, really. It's a ticking time bomb if you want, because you've got to know, you know, you could end up doing anything with that money, which literally he has. But, um, you know, if you're not careful... And with, then he won. If we keep going like we are, and I suppose clubs, well... When I left football, we didn't have any financial advice. It was literally signed contract. As long as you performed on that Saturday, um, go and do what you want, really. I'm always fascinated by what happens on the pitch, sort of off the ball. And players must be talking to each other all the time. But were there any opponents that used to come up against that you particularly liked for winding them up, or they wound you up, or that you would give each other back chat? Um, I'm just trying to think back. Um, Or ones that scared you? Oh, I was, yeah, I, was, I played against big Duncan Ferguson once, which, you know, <laughs> frightened the life out of me. I, t- I talk about this quite a bit. It was, um, he'd come on for five minutes. Like, he was on the bench. <laughs> come on. He's been on five minutes. He's clumped someone. I think it's Paul Shana, our centre half playing for Wigan. He's hit him in the ribs, like, knocked him out. <laughs> and give him a red card, and it's a bit of a melee. It's on YouTube, so when you get home, watch it. It's funny. <laughs> So I'm sort of grabbing him, yeah. like me, as if I'm going to do anything, <laughs> grabbing him, making out that I'm hard. <laughs> and he sort of looks at me, and I was, to this day, give me some eyes that I've never seen before, not even, <laughs> even when you're dead. You know, when you're shit scared of your dad back in the day. And like, he looked at me, and I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> 
So, and he just growled off, and he, in his Scottish accent, you might be better off doing this. Like, do you want some as well to me? And I was like, no. Do you so, want some? Yeah, like that. And I was like, no. So he walked off, <laughs> and I thought it'd be quite flesh say, I'll wait in a tunnel, Dunk, I won't be long. <laughs> as, a bit, as a bit of banter. And he's turned around and went, all right, I will do. And I was like, oh. <laughs> And that's true story, true story. And then whistle's gone and all that, 20 minutes. I, I didn't forget. And I was saying, boys, just go down the tunnel, make sure he's gone. <laughs> and one of the boys said, I swear, Jim, he's down there. He's waiting. <laughs> oh, shit, myself. True story. Honestly, that was a true story. Yeah. <laughs> and then, it, get on this. A week after, I'm at the races. Guess who's there? Big dunk. <laughs> so I'm there with all the Wigan boys, and they push me in amongst him. He's big cigar, two women wrapped around him. So I've gone up to him, and um, he grabbed me around the net. He goes, Jim, I was only having a bit of a joke. And all that. So he's a good lad, but I, I, I was shit scared. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that. And also, so I played against Paul Scholes once, and he was, wasn't Oof, verbally... Tough, though. Yeah, like, probably the worst tackler I've ever played against. I know it's quite well documented how bad he tackles, but I played against him. Usually, when you get the ball... I don't think he's ever heard of this. There's, there's a technical jockey in a player. <laughs> just like, just sort of hold your ground and jockey a player. Paul didn't know what that was. He would just come through you <laughs> like a bull in a china shop. And it was literally one game. I remember it five times in the first 15 minutes he snapped me. <laughs> like, that's a joke, isn't it? And there's also me thinking, he plays for Man United. Why is he worrying about me? Why is he like cropping me every three minutes? I couldn't really understand that. So them two players, I'd say, are the hardest two I've ever played against. What about Roy Keane? Did you ever play against him? Never played against Keane, no. But I know he's a weirdo. <laughs> because I've got another story about this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Get on this. <laughs> right, this is a classic. I mean, there was... Um, oh, I've got a few because I went to Ipswich and he was manager of Ipswich Football oh, Club. Yeah, just, but that was just before you were there, wasn't it? Just before. So Paul Jewell took over and then I, I go in the change room where he was manager of a lot of players. So what do you get? You get the backdrop of all of his scenarios. Yeah. So I'm going to try and tell you this story, and I thought it was really funny when I got told it. So you get done for a drugs test sometimes. So there's um, an old bloke that comes in, and like he has to watch your piss. He cannot leave your sight. So they come in. I think it's a 4-0 drumming, one of the boys told me. So they come in, and there's this drugs test. So it's the centre arm, the centre arm, and there's a drugs, test, tr- drugs tester there. And um, Roy Keane's going around each individual. He's fuming. Like, he, they've lost 4-0. Even if they win, he's just a fuming man. We know that. <laughs> and he's carting every player. He's just giving it to him five, ten minutes, every single player. And he comes to the um, centre-half who's getting on the piss test. And remember, there's an old fella holding a pot there. He's with the P- F- PFA and he's going to take the piss test. So he's like, um, what are you going to do in your life after this? Because no one's going to have you after this um, performance. And um, he says, I'll tell you what you're going to be doing. You're going to be taking piss for a living like the old fella. <laughs> Imagine being that fella, like, how can you have the front to talk to an old man like that? I was like, that's an absolute blinder. And one day I used it. That's the first time I told this story. So, yeah. So that's what a horrible man he is, really. And I couldn't play for anyone like that, yeah. Were the players there, like, genuinely scared of him? Would they say, yeah, oh, oh, mate, God, it was difficult when Keane... <laughs> Another one. Ben Thatcher was... Um, I know Ben. I know of Ben. And I know he's a, I know he's a lunatic. He's one of the sort of the old school players. He come from what I was talking about earlier. He come from Millwall, like back in the day. Brought up with Keith Stevens, Jimmy Carter, Terry Erlock. So he was a well educated boy out of football as well as in. And um, I, I got this story off of his close mate Mark Kennedy, who was at Ipswich. As I said, you get a load of backloaded stories from a manager. And um, this is Ben talking. And Ben said, 
I'm going to go in and see him. I've had enough about Roy Keane because him and Keane didn't get on. And because um, Ben can have a fight as well, he's known as quite an hard boy. And he said, oh, "I've had enough." He goes in, goes in the um, shuts the door, goes in the office, and apparently looks Keane in the eyes. And Keane goes, "Shut the door behind you." And then Ben shuts the door, and Ben sits down, and he says a few words. <coughs> no one knows what's going on. He comes back out, and he said to Mark Kennedy, "He went, Mark, that is the last time I ever go in the office with him. He give me the eyes of like the most evil eyes, and I was so scared, I didn't know what to do." And that's coming from Ben. He said that is the last time I go in a one-on-one office. Apparently, he said, "Shut the door. The next next time I'll be on this phone, he's calling you an ambulance." <laughs> so that's what he was like. He was generally. Very, very in people's faces. He's deliberately uh, intimidating. Yeah, he? Like, exactly. And he, yeah. those eyes that he gives, it's constantly sort of forward or like down. They're always looking at people, and then someone's phone will ring and go, oh, "Have you seen that turn your phone off. Yeah, I've seen. <laughs> really scary, isn't it? Yeah, what? Just turn your phone yeah, off around Roy Keane. Do you not think that's like just so rude though to be like? What's have your phone on or to? No, to like pull up someone like that and to act like that, that aggressive. That's got to be a bit false, I think. He's deliberately. I remember seeing one uh, game he was punditing, doing punditry on, and they showed a clip of Gareth Southgate bumping into a referee and then shaking his hand afterwards. And they come back to the studio and there's Southgate and Roy Keane there. He goes, Oh, what do you make of that, Roy? He went, You should be ashamed of yourself shaking hands with the referee. <laughs> you should never shake hands with a referee. You should never say thank you to the Mental. Yeah, he is. He's not right, is he? I remember the one where him and Neville chased Andy Durso. That particularly bad footage when I'm Manchester saying. United... And they chased the referee around the pitch. And someone said, uh, why did you chase him, Roy? He went, if you'd have stood still, we wouldn't have chased him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just, uh, you're so, I suppose you'd count yourself lucky that you didn't play against someone like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but in a way, it'd be brilliant to play against characters like that because he was such a good player as well. So there's two sides of it. One, yeah, I count myself lucky. I'm still walking. And two, <laughs> um, yeah, a bit disappointed I didn't. The managers you played under, obviously the, the famous one really in terms of character was Phil Brown because there was that very famous goal celebration where a year earlier at Man City he'd <coughs> told the players off at half-time but kept them on the pitch and quite theatrically dressed down the whole City players. And then the following year yeah. you're playing at the same... It was away at uh, the Etihad and yeah. uh, you scored and then do a celebration where you get the whole team to sit down and you yeah. uh, tell them off as a goal celebration. I know, yeah. I've had some mad managers. I started with Harry Redknapp and this is why I think sometimes I am the way I am. Because I've had... Get on this, so seriously, listen to this. Sort of distressing... I've had Harry Redknapp I started, so not the best starts. Barry Fry. <laughs> Like, that's just it, isn't it? Like, just say there, your infant teacher at school. Then I went to um, Paul Jewell, which comes across okay on telly, but let me tell you, he's a mad, hot-headed scarcer. He, he, really? He, yeah, he, when he, yeah, when he goes, he goes. Then I, he seems I got really cool. so- he, seems, he seems a bit like Paul Hollywood. <laughs> Paul Hollywood? He's sort of like Hollywood, a sort of fat-clubbable scouser who'd probably, you know, probably try and pull your missus, that sort of... You say he was hot-headed then, but could he be quite aggressive? Oh, massively. If you're losing... Oh, Paul was the worst manager out of them all to play for if you were losing. So, so in, yeah, what, in what way was he Just aggressive, just... Um, Physically? I just find scarce as aggressive. <laughs> you know, like, normally. Not Ringo Starr. Well, I don't know Ringo, <laughs> but... You know, they've got that aggressive accent, haven't they? Or is it just me? I don't know. I, I just find the scarcers very aggressive. <laughs> what he's laughing at? I'm being serious. Because sometimes as a fan, you, you think, you know, if you're losing at half-time, you think, well, I hope someone gives them a dressing down in the, at half-time. And then sometimes teams come out and play completely differently. Yeah. And you sort of think, well, if you knew what you had to do at the start, why did you need telling at half-time? 
Yeah, I've always thought that, but sometimes sport doesn't work like that, does it? You know, you can go out first half being told what... You know, sometimes, to be honest, I'm going to tell you straight, I didn't even listen to my managers. I just played. I really did. I'd have played. I'm, I'm a big believer of football. You know, so much of it is anticipation and no manager can tell you where that ball's going to drop. So that's, that's how I played. Did sometimes any... it worked, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> But I enjoyed it. I had a thoroughly great time in my career. So. Were there any people that inspired you, though, like captains or other players that at times when you needed your head lifting in the 8th to 9th minute were particularly inspirational people? Um, yeah, I, I was... <laughs> when, I, when I signed for West Ham, I had Paddy Decano come in and that really opened my eyes at how professional he was. So all through my career, I'd go back and how would Paolo, what would Paolo do here? So, yeah, I suppose I had my eyes and ears open at an early stage. But then I was always massive fans of watching Maradona growing up, Paul Gascoigne's, you know, Zinedine Zidane's, you know, them sort of players, I've, you know, I always imagine. Sometimes I'd be on the pitch trying to emulate them, really. That's sometimes, I know it's a bit weird and a bit deep, but that's exactly what I'd done. I would imagine I was them, really. Even in the Premier League? Yeah, even in the Premier League, I would try, you know, and I'd go through stages, I would try and wear the same boots as, say, what Zidane wore. And, you know, I'd feel comfortable trying to act like he controlled... I wouldn't look anything like him, <laughs> but in my head, I thought I was him. So It's fascinating, because you expect... That's what I do when I play on the park. Just the way he played, how it looked so easy. So you, well, I suppose it makes sense because you know, in music people take influences. In, in comedy they oh, do, yeah. in, in film they do. There's no reason why in sport you wouldn't be influenced by your peers. No, hundreds. Well, it, when I say it helped for me, my, my achievement in football was to reach the Premier League. So I achieved what I wanted to achieve, and that worked for me. So, but does it work for everyone? I don't know. You know, you're a comic. Did you, did you ever um, look up to anyone? Are you, are you close to where you wanted to be? Do you take anyone off a little bit? When you're on stage. Steve Coogan influenced me a lot, yeah. So you go. So I think it works in any walks of life, really. I think everyone, when they're growing up, are learning with their eyes, especially. Yeah. And I suppose my sort of career has followed an almost sort of Alan Partridge. Because I do I do, do a, a, a late-night chat show on Talk Sports. Uh, that's a, it's a sports-based channel. 1 a.m. till 6 a.m. Uh, although, as my friend in Australia calls it, prime time. So... Uh, you got, you got, but you, you said the pinnacle was playing in the Premier League. You also got a call up to the England team as well, which yeah. was incredible in 2008 in the run up to the 2010 World Cup. Was playing for England something you'd always dreamed of? It wasn't part of my dream because I didn't think I'd get to where I got to. Um, Premier League was my pinnacle, my top of my. Um, I always see it as a triangle. I always explain to young kids, I see it as a triangle. So, um, achieve what I wanted to achieve and that was a bonus if you want that was sort of like oh my god that's my A star if you want that's my um, thing that I didn't really think of it wasn't even in my head even when I got close and it happened so you know how does that make you feel Um, to this day still brings goosebumps like still to this day I can't believe it and probably whenever you know but um, yeah, amazing achievement. Uh, just one thing, I just wished I got on the pitch and got a cap now. Yeah. But no, does it bite away at me? Not at all. Um, even if I didn't reach the Premier League, it wouldn't have bit away at me because I knew I'd give it me all to get there, you know. And if you give it your all and believe in what you've done and really believe yourself you give it your all, I think that's when you're most comfortable and that's why, you know, happy enough to talk about it. And yeah, I've had a great, great footy career, mate. Great laugh on the way. Met some great people and still friends with people. So that's what it's about, you know. How did the England camp differ to, like, a, a club camp? And plus, I didn't like it when I was there, yeah. <laughs> it was... Um, it was 
I'm like that. When I just get to meet someone, I find it a little bit awkward. Um, and I suppose you get it in any... It's like going into a new job, if you want, but within a job, because obviously I play footy. And I knew about the boys, Stephen Gerrards, Beckham, Rooney's, um, Rio's, Joe Coles. I knew about them and knew some of them, but it's just a different environment. So everyone's a bit... I say standoffish, but it might be the wrong word, too harsh a word. It's a bit... Guarded? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's how football's got, but it really is guarded when I was in the England squad. Now, that can change from players changing to coaching stuff. So, But when I was in the England squad, very guarded, very... Um, what do I call it? Like, soldier-like, you know, got to be in this time, can I eat that, do this. Very quiet. Yeah. Totally not my dressing room. <laughs> to when I go back to Fulham and a Wigan and the West Ham days. So that was why I didn't 100% like it. But there's also the other part of you when, say, you got your chance to play for your country. But, you know, it, it was difficult. It was two weeks in a hotel room, which I found difficult. And there might be people out there listening say, well, you've got a chance to play for your country. You shouldn't be saying it. But I'm just being honest. I found it difficult. And But let me tell you, if I had the chance again, would I do it? Of course I would. I want to play for my country. But... I'd just rather... And that's why I believe that they're struggling with success and with results, because it's too... They're too managed, if you want. Just give them a bit of freedom, a bit of freelance, if you want, and I think that'd help the boys. Because, obviously... The, that's my opinion. Part of the discipline probably comes from, a, you know, the, the sort of uh, ferocious tabloid desire to get any sort of scandal, particularly in the run-up to a World Cup or major tournament. And we all remember in the run-up to Euro 96, Gazza and McManaman and, and Sheringham, you know, with their shirts ripped to but the dentist. was that general. not our best team? Oh, um, was that not our most watched? Yeah, team? yeah, and we got to the semi-finals. That's what I'm saying, and we got the semi. That's what I'm trying to say, and I didn't even have that in my head. Now, because they're a bit more outspoken, if you want, they're not scared to say their feelings. And but also, is not every team this day and age got as much press focus on them as England? We're not the only country. Mm. There's other teams producing. They just don't look as guarded. And when they come on that pitch, I can feel the sense of guard. They're not their se- well. They're definitely not their players when they play for the club f- club team. They're definitely not the same. So what I'm trying to say, other other um, countries have got the same amount of pressure on them, if not more. So why are they being able to play freely? You know, I think it's a lot to do with the way we've built, been brought up and the way we're very, very inverted as individuals, if you want. Well, in, in t- footballers or just the British? Footballers. The way we've been brought up, definitely. Fascinating that. I've never heard anyone put it like that. Certainly from inside or outside the game. It's maybe my opinion, but I've been there... And that's what I see with my own eyes. That's what I believe. That's what I felt. Um, I'm quite a good judge of character, I'd say. Um, I know when a bloke's fun. I know when a bloke's not. And I know when a bloke's feeling really comfortable. I know when he's not. So that's what I felt. When you were playing, just before we go to break, when, when you're, you know, I go to a lot of football matches and sometimes passion gets the better of me and you know, abuse yeah. is hurled. Um, as, as a player, does that ever get to you? Do you ever hear it? Oh, yeah, you hear... Um... It's, it's like, um, I get asked that a lot as well, it's like a blur, a blur of cheers, which is great, <laughs> Yeah. but a blur of boos are twice as loud for some reason. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what you play for. That's, when you're close to the touchline, you can hear re- individual, like, but fantastic, you know, that's what I miss. I miss um, going three o'clock kickoffs, um, smelling the ground and hearing and listening, yeah. I miss all that. I miss the I miss, I miss the atmosphere of the fans, if you want. Because I'm a fan myself as well. That's what people, I was at West Ham the other week and miss being that fan, if you want. Do you, one that one the, I imagine as a player, one of the coolest things must be is when you get your own chant. Yeah, I've had a few of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, You hear them? 
Are there any that, you, that stick in the memory? Oh, yeah, I've got um, Fulham fans are singing you a couple. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on, sing it to us. So ah, when they're on their own, they're not the same, these fans. Jim Ballard, Ballard. He's better than Steve Gerrard. He's better than Frank Lampard. So that's basically it, really. Jim Ballard, Ballard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough for me. It's good, though. <laughs> There was one that Ipswich had, wasn't there? Do you remember that one? Yeah, I knew you'd go. I knew, <laughs> I knew, I knew he was going down this road. Go to on, a lovely baby. Off. It goes, Oh, Jimmy Bullard, you are the love of my wife. Uh, the love of my life, oh, Jimmy Bullard. I let you shag my wife, oh, Jimmy Bullard. <laughs> and I'll be at the corner flag going, Yeah, where is she? Like? <laughs> and that is the honest truth. But the fans loved it. Oh, right? Jimmy, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. We're going to take, uh, we're going to take, well, it's half time, so we'll, uh, we'll have a 15 to 20 minute break to uh, have a pie or, uh, uh, I don't think they sell pies in a place like this, but uh, maybe some spicy wasabi crackers and um, <laughs> maybe some fettuccine on a panini and, um, or a beer even. Uh, and we'll be back with, with Jimmy and with Ramesh uh, and with Eric for the time being. Please give it up Thanks, for Jimmy guys. Bullard. Thank you very much. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, what a wonderful first half. We're going to continue the fun uh, with Jimmy now. And uh, we've got a celebrity fan on. Uh, he's a big Arsenal fan. He's currently... Is that a problem? <laughs> he's, he's a big Arsenal fan. He's also a lovely guy. Uh, he's a very good comedian as well. You might have seen him on uh, Mock the Week uh, and Live at the Apollo. He's very talented. He's very funny. Please give a massive welcome to Ramesh Ranganathan. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. All right. Good to be here. <laughs> Say it like you mean it, mate. Sorry. Sorry. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, I thought um, to introduce you to the, to the audience here, um, I asked you to bring something that, that had a, a sort of a story attached to it as mm-hmm. you as a football fan. Yeah. You support Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, what have you brought along? I have brought this uh, old school Arsenal shirt. Um, you like Ooh. it? Do you like it? For reals? Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> Shirt's getting a round of applause from three people. Smashing this. The shirt got a bigger Smashing reception it. than you, you did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what, what's the... What's the What's the story? Not, I'm not happy with the reception so far, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Old Jimmy smashed it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this prick? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, what's the story behind the well, shirt? Well, basically, this shirt was up in my dad's pub. My dad uh, passed away a couple of years ago, um, but he was a massive gooner. Basically, we didn't have a choice. My dad, when he first moved over to England, um, illegally... He was... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. That, that, court you know? case, that court case has been settled. So, anyway, so when, when, he, when he came over, uh, you know, he lived in North London, he was a massive Arsenal fan, and then he bought this pub in East Grinstead. Basically, what happened was is that he, um, he ran a business in East Grinstead. He went to this pub for lunch uh, every day and then thought, you know what, I think I'll just buy the pub. Uh, so he, uh, he sold the business and bought the pub. I and, think we uh, should explain that you are Sri Lankan, just think, because if people are listening... Well, yeah, and they if think... you weren't sure from the name Ramesh Ranganathan, <laughs> that, that might not be a Caucasian English man. <laughs> then I'm impressed that you managed to switch the radio on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want people to think this was some sort of rally. Yeah. My real name's Paul Smith. I've browned up so I have an angle. No, that's... that's <laughs> <laughs> Got to do something, mate. Do you know what I mean? Comedy's not easy. <laughs> Ramesh, you know what? Play it as an Asian. That might work. Uh, so anyway, we had this... Uh, <laughs> 
it's gone. It's a bad start. Um, anyway, so we, we had this shirt up in the pub. Basically, my dad was like a militant gooner. Uh, and, and what we had was like he'd, he'd put the games on in the pub. And what we discovered about my dad is he was quite a racist. Um, but like, what would happen is every time a game was on, he'd, he'd just go mental and he'd insult every ethnic group. Um, and, and so we'd sort of get him to chill it out a little bit because he, he did own the pub. Uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a great thing to do. Um, but he just thought it was banter. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> what I had to say to him, no, it's highly offensive. Um, <laughs> but, but we had like, we, we, we're watching, we'd just get him to chill out because basically he would just go over the top. Like he would just lose his mind. And I remember like a few years ago, Arsenal playing United, Man United and we, we lost 4-2, got absolutely smashed to pieces. And my dad was like really annoyed about it and he just got up. The pub was heaving, right? Good business. He walks up to the television, like the big screen, switches it off, turns around to the crowd and goes, everybody, f*** off. Like, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, it was like proper... So, like, that, you know, we had to just sort of get him to calm down a little bit. It's like, Dad, that ain't going to play. That ain't going to work, mate. That's not how you run a pub. So, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting times with Ranga Senior. And that was, that was up in the pub, so that has... Yeah, that was, like, the regular... But the thing is, the pub, most of the pub uh, regulars were, like, Crystal Palace fans. Uh, and uh, so he just put that up, like, just had that up to annoy him. I think that was, that was sort of the main thing. So he just made it like a hardcore Arsenal pub. We used to go there, go there and watch the games. If we couldn't get to games, we'd go and watch the games there just because it's funny seeing him lose it. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was part of the entertainment. If Arsenal win, great. But the downside is you see him happy. But if Arsenal lose, then he, he just basically has a heart attack. It's insane. <laughs> uh, it's really good fun. Uh, so it was your, your dad's the reason that you supported Arsenal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... Um, Do you resent that? Well, no, I... <laughs> Why would I resent it, Matt? Well, because Arsenal are a difficult club to support. Yeah, that's true. Um, but no, I don't resent it. You, 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 um, you know, I've got the same sort of issues now that my dad had. You know, he made us Arsenal fans, and now I've got my own children, and I'm trying to um, get them to be Arsenal fans. And I've realised how difficult it is, you know, to, 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 to get your kids to support the team you want to, you want them to. And, you know, my wife doesn't understand it. You know, she's saying to me, you know, she'd let them choose whatever team they want. And I said, that's not how parenting works. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if they don't support Arsenal, they don't get fed. You know, that's, that's, that's how this works. Do you know what I mean? You want to support another team, get out. Let's see, uh, let's see how life treats you when you're homeless. Um, that's, and I think that's good character-building stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, but the, the, the difficult problem I had was I, I, I went, you know, I, I, my son wanted to... Um, Wanted to, you know, he wanted to buy a football kit, and I took him down to the sports shop, and he chose a Barcelona kit, and um, and I bought it for him, and you know, it was it's difficult because you know you sort of look at him and you think I hate you for, for what you for what you've done, but you have to love your kid, do you know what I mean? So, but eventually, what I did was, I, like a few weeks ago, I went to um, went to watch the uh, Man City game, and then just bought every piece of Arsenal memorabilia I could. It just came and went, surprise, it's an extra birthday, put this on now! <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so now I think I've sorted it. Do you know what I mean? No worries about that, they can live at home. Well, that's good to know. Um, it's quite dark, that, wasn't it? That was a dark way to finish it. They can stay in the house. All right. Were you, were you good at uh, football as a kid? It's, it's very difficult to, um, to, to be a... a, a <laughs> To, to be a good footballer, when you combine being hugely obese uh, with a complete lack of coordination, and, and, 
and obviously, they often do go together. Yeah, and I, I often, you know, I wanted to follow in the, the great line of Asian Premiership footballers that we've had, but <laughs> uh, it, it was difficult. I mean, when, when you mentioned chops, I got, really it, I, say. <laughs> I got really excited. Um, but yeah, no, I was awful. I, and I tried to play, you know, I had a tryout for, like, my mates had a five-a-side team. Uh, they're all Asian. It was called Real Madras. And, and, and I, <laughs> I tried out for them. Didn't make it, man. It was like, it just didn't happen. Even their nan got in the team. <laughs> oh! How is that getting a round of applause? Because it's, it's sophisticated humour. Um, nan, get out of here, man. So what position did you want to play as a kid then? What, what footballer did you want to be? Who did you pretend to be on the park? Uh, well, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to play up front, but I, I was like a fridge. So I, I just play, I just play centre half, mate, the stopper. Do you know what I mean? The, the chocolate enforcer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did, mate. Just fish that. If you run away, I won't be able to catch you. But, um, but I, had, I had an opportunity to make a comeback because um, I was a teacher before I did stand up, and um, we used to have a, we had a staff versus six form game, and um, and I basically didn't want to play because I was so awful. Um, so I, was, I went and a, a sub, and um, the PE department only had one set of shirts. It looked like it had been spray painted on me. It was disgusting, right? Just, just chocolate blancmange spilling out the bottom of the shirt or whatever. Not I'd have been eating it. It's literally that's my stomach. But um, and um, and basically the, the 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 striker who was playing up front, um, our P, head of PE, he had to come off like a couple of minutes early, and so I had to go on. I was thrown into the situation. Do you know what I mean? I had to step up. And, um, and so I decided to go and do my duty, play up front. And uh, our, our winger on the left wing, Mr Bagnall, um, he took it past three of the six formers, crossed it into me. I'm two yards out, and I'm thinking, how am I going to celebrate this? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I skied it about six metres over the bar and then had the entire school just going, you don't know what you're doing. Get Ranganathan off. Get Ranganathan <laughs> off. It's horrible. It's, you can't maintain discipline in a classroom the next day when they've seen you be as pony as that the, the, the evening before. It's horrible, mate. Did that abuse last then? Did that go on for a while? Yeah, I had to leave teaching. Um, I, <laughs> the situation where I just had to make comedy work because there's no way I could be in a classroom anymore. Do you know what I mean? And that and the allegations. But, 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 uh, <laughs> but it's a combination. The cardigan and the glasses don't help. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> did you never try playing in goal? Um, yeah, I did try playing in goal. And what I, what I mean by try playing in goal is that where, that's where I was always stuck. Like when, when like everyone else had been selected, they said, just put Tubby Brown in goal. And um, I wasn't very good at that either. I just don't have the cat-like reflexes that are required. It's horrible. Do you ever kid yourself? I mean, obviously, it's difficult, different for you, Jimmy, because you're a professional footballer, but I think like a lot of fans occasionally kid themselves. Like, you play like a good pass in a five-a-side game and you think, oh, I always know I had a good run. I, I, I still have that fantasy that I'll be playing with my mates down the park yeah. and for some reason, Arsene Wenger will come past in a car and go, <laughs> I think he has the quality and the <laughs> mental strength to, uh, to play and then I'll get picked up. Have you got a cold? <laughs> I can only really do Indian as an accent, so I'm not like you, mate. Um, but, yeah, I do still have that fantasy where I just get picked up and suddenly, from out of nowhere, this really tubby Sri Lankan man is <laughs> playing in midfield for Arsenal. He's absolutely smashing it. You know, just, like, even a month. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like even if I just got a month, like, June... And, August. And then, yeah. <laughs> even then, mate, even then, I'd love it. 
Did you ever have that rumour? There was always a rumour at our school, I went to school in Nottingham, there was always a rumour that night, oh yeah, uh, at break time, yeah, scouts from Forest are coming round, so if you're, good on the, if you're good on the playground, you might get picked from Forest. Did you ever have that at like, any of your schools? Well, if they said, if they said Forest, I wouldn't have given a shit. But, um, no, I didn't, unfortunately. Yeah. Always, there was always like, the rumour going round that like, Forest were coming down to like, look at us. Were you any good? No, but but it's that thing where you get. You, I've got too much pride to go. No, I, no, but it's sort of good from set pieces. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of thing you sort of kid yourself. Yeah, I can put a good cross in. Yeah, I'm sort of quite physical. I'm a piece of shit when I play football. It, it's like I get like you know some people can't drive because they get such bad road rage. Yeah, my life is calmer now. I don't play football right. because I've become a, like a different, a nasty piece of work. <laughs> Shirt pulling, verbals, verbals. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, but it's all quite innocuous. I just got that. Yeah, you want mate? You want? That's what, that's what, how you describe yourself as a nasty piece yeah, of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> you better watch yourself. Fordy's in town. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just winding people up, isn't it? It's not nice. I don't like what yeah, I've become. That's really, that was really vicious, mate. I got scared just sitting there listening to that. That was no, but quite physical as well. I remember on the school playing field once, I tackled a guy so hard I broke my watch. I was like, how have I broken up? My watch came off. I cropped him and my watch broke. So it was like it sent a shockwave through my body. So have I broken a watch? Yeah, it's just a yeah. cheap watch. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was very nice. My dad got it. Um, now, it's very difficult, isn't it, when you're a fan? Because you, your first love is you, you're convinced. I was convinced for a while I was going to play for Forest. Like, for maybe like a year. I was like, well, I'll just go. You actually and... love Forest, didn't you? Yeah. I, I, I had my mum ring up the Forest ground and see how old you had to be to be in the reserves. And that was like when I was eight. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but they're like a younger team, aren't they? So maybe I could just play for them and then Stuart Pearce and Brian Clough, I'll become the best mate. It's, it, it was sort of different for me because, like, like, although my dad was an Arsenal fan, it's sort of, you don't... You know, he, he was nervous about going t- to games and stuff because he felt like, as an Asian man, it might be, not, it might be a bit hairy and stuff, like going to, the, going to watch the football back then. And so it was weird that we sort of had this experience where we'd watch the football and we grew up watching it. And then it was only later on that we started going to the games and g- getting into it like that. Do you know what I mean? And I, I took my dad to his first game, bizarrely. Do you know what I mean? Because he just hadn't been... He'd been too nervous to go. And I started going... And then I said to him, no, it's like, it's totally sound, you'll be fine or whatever. And, and then he started coming with me. So it's weird. I feel like I had a sort of a different, a different upbringing in the way to, to what you might have had, do you know what I mean, in terms of my experiences of growing up with football. And I don't know if it was just my dad's particular fear of it or whatever, or he just had this perception that it was going to be a bit dodgy or whatever. But, but then you watched him in the pub and you just think, you would have been the biggest nutcase there, mate. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what you were worried about, do you know what I mean? You'd have to be the one that's being restrained. <laughs> do you remember the first football game you went to? Yeah, I went to. Uh, it's about like it's about maybe like thirteen. I went to watch Arsenal Liverpool. It was a very boring game, but I just remember being excited. Just a bit. It's, it's just exhilarating to see like even the Arsenal branding on stuff, and yeah. just to have it in front of you and to to be there in amongst it is just incredible. And I think the the first game you go to, it never matches up. I don't think it ever really matches up to the first game. You're just mm. so exhilarated that that you're there and you're in amongst it, and it was just. Um, I remember being terrified as well, and like you know, there's something about like you know you can watch you can watch stuff on TV and watch all the chants and and, and the stuff, but there's nothing like the atmosphere of actually being in amongst it it is I think the first time that you're in amongst that is actually quite frightening I think do you know what I mean and then you sort of get excited and then you suddenly become a prick yourself yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to be such a, like a meek little kid when I went to yeah. I mean, the first time I was seven years old Forest Beach Sunderland 2-0 uh, Chetland Clough scoring either half of hard time for Brian Clough's men sent them to eighth in the league 
And uh, it was just a great day, but it was not long after Hillsborough and, and Forrest still had terracing at either end, and obviously Forrest and Liverpool had, had been all, uh, involved in that awful day. So it was very much in my mind as a kid. I, was, I thought like, the whole place was going to be random, it was going to be really intimidating. We got there, there was plenty of space. I went like, with, my, with my granddad's <laughs> brother, he fell over uh, at one point. He was, fell over. <laughs> it was really got like a programme and some toughies and stuff like that. And there was loads of, but it's just as a kid, you can't get over like, the size of the place yeah. and how many people. I didn't spend much time watching the game, just gawping around and just the fag smoke in your eyes and, the, and just that constant smell of grass and piss. Oh, that grass sort of and, and piss. Oh. oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Never smelled that before. <laughs> grass and piss? Grass you know, the, piss. like the back of the terraces, people just used to urinate openly at the back of, like, the Bridgeford end. I know, it was nice, wasn't it? Um, it's forest for you, mate, isn't it? <laughs> Pissing in the back of it, disgusting. Oh. No, it was, but it was like the whole, the whole thing is like a sensory... It's amazing, isn't it? And then after a while, you start getting used to it and you feel more comfortable and then you yeah. get sort of rowdy and you sit in different parts of the ground and you start, become, start becoming trouble. Yeah, you start becoming a bit I that. I love it. Sort of, the thing about football is, I don't know if you have this, Jimmy, but like when you go to games and you sort of... I always get quite a thrill being near the hard people, but I don't want them too near. Yeah, yeah. So sort of like, see the lads in the Stone Island, I'm like, right, here we go, Derby away, all this sort of thing. Oh, no, exactly. yeah, have a few beers, all right, boys, how's it going? Yeah, part of the club. And at the moment it all kicks off, I'm just like, I'm going to go home now, I don't like this. I think I'm just going to go and sit over here. I, 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 I remember thinking I was like one of the hard Arsenal fans, right? We were watching Arsenal-Chelsea, the FA Cup, and like it was like proper kicking off and stuff like that. And then one of the Arsenal fans, like one of the nutters, turns around and goes, sing up, you tarts! And I just went, oh shit, sorry. Like, I was just like, so pathetic. Like, Dad's lost it again. Yeah. I was at West Ham the other day and... Uh, um, they've got a, their firm back in the day are called the ICF yeah. and I haven't been to a football ground as a fan for like 15, 16 years I was in a box and the ICF were next door to us and you find yourself getting carried away and I was singing what they were singing who do I think I am do you know what I mean <laughs> I'm looking at them and my mate's looking at me going are you alright Jimmy you've got to get involved didn't you it's like, you totally lose who you are don't you and um, I started throwing glasses and everything but... <laughs> no, I was next to the ICF and they were a bunch of animals basically I remember getting warned by... I can't remember who support. There's this pub in London I used to drink in. And this guy... He was, I think he was dangerous, because he had very big shoulders. And uh, he... Uh, <laughs> that makes you dangerous. Yeah, well, it just, it was sort of big. No one has big shoulders unless you have to use them, do they? Like, he'd obviously built that part of his body up to be really intimidating. And we used to drink in this pub, and he went, so you're Forrest, are you, mate? I said, yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah so have uh, you uh, been involved in any trouble? I was like, no, 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 I don't sort of go in for that sort of thing. All right, get involved in the chanting and all that, though, right? And he was one of those people who was deliberately leading you into an argument he wanted to have. I was like, yeah, get involved in the chanting. People like you make me sick. I was like, what? Because yeah. you don't know how dark it can get, mate, and trust me, it will get dark. Like, well, you didn't ask me what sort of chants, so I'm just sort of singing, you raise. <laughs> Is this what you want? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> really intimidating, like, scary. It's really weird when you get... Because I got confronted by, like, we were watching... Um, Arsenal playing Chelsea in the FA Cup final when Ray Parler scored a screamer. And, um, and uh, a bunch of Chelsea fans obviously just wanted to kick off in the pub afterwards. So they sort of came up to me and they went, so you're Arsenal, are you? And I was like, yeah. He goes, if you were a proper fan, you'd be at the game, wouldn't you? And I was saying, well, the argument could be applied to you as well, couldn't it? But I, I just didn't want to say that, because then I'd get my head kicked in. You know? so I was just like, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Sorry. Oh, the I'm just going to leave quietly, if that's OK with you. <laughs> <laughs> then you got your head kicked in. <laughs> then his dad killed him. <laughs> 
They're the worst ones when you get like stuck. I remember going to Derby away. I went through a period where I felt like I couldn't miss like any big game. And if I felt like if I missed it, it meant I wasn't a real Forest fan. We had Derby away about eight years ago now. Um, and it was known as the coffee cup game because Barry Roach cleared the ball and it hit a coffee cup that was on the pitch. And then Paul Pesky Solido went in off the rebound. But me and a mate couldn't get a ticket in the Forest end. This was away at Derby. So we sat in the Derby end at Derby away. And it was just like, well, we've got a sort of similar accent to Derby people. As long as we don't say we're Forest, we'll be fine. So we sat there in like the Toyota stand, up a tier, like right in the middle. And it's the moment you go through the turnstile, you just think, this is a terrible decision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And you just feel like they can smell it. It's like, you know, the witches when they could smell children. You can sort of see Derby vans going... There's one of them in here. <laughs> so you have to, but even just saying things like, I think we've got a really good side. And you think, do I mean Derby or Forest? And they turn around and go, what do you mean we? What are you, Forest or Derby? I don't know why they've all turned into Cockneys either. It was a bit, they've, got a lot of, they've got a broad base of support these days, Derby. Is, is that the way they were going to sniff you out? Are you Forest or Derby? Forest, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the problem, isn't it? You sort of don't, because it's an alien environment. So you're sort of very self-consciously sitting there and you think, what if all these people are season ticket holders? And these are the two seats that like, all the weirdos always get. <laughs> like, like, or whatever, right? And then... So we sat there, Derby scored, and we just like, we stood up. I said, if they score, we've got to stand up, because otherwise it'll look weird. So we just stood up, uh, and then they scored again. So sort of, and I think they scored a third time. I was sick of standing up at this point. And that's all right. Scored. And then we scored one. I thought, oh, hello. And we sort of just sat there and went, ah, like that. That's all I did. I went, ah. and, um, and then we scored a second. I think Gareth Williams scored. And my mate just stood up and went, yes! <laughs> 25,000 people turned around and went, who the f***? <laughs> and he went and then he just went like pleaded instead of just going I was like we need to go now we need to go now like people were throwing like tea bags at the back of our heads and like cups and stuff stuff was starting to rain down I was like I, I, I think we're going to lose this fight and um, he then started trying to do like the football thing thing of going oh man I've got so much respect for Derby man you're such a good football club like I mean well, I'm just the same as you like I'm a season ticket holder right? I couldn't get a ticket in the away end like it's just stupid the way football fans get treated these days I mean I feel sorry for you guys you know what I mean your ticket prices this season I've always had a lot of respect for Derby and this guy in front of us just turned around and went if this goes to 3-3 you pair better f*** off <laughs> <laughs> and it went to 4-2 and it's like right we're out of here anyway <laughs> petrifying Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a very special uh, final guest for you. Uh, he's one of the... He's giving himself a round of applause before he gets it. Uh, he's uh, one of the most outrageous characters uh, in football, uh, has represented people such as Terry Venables, Paul Gascoigne uh, and Gary Lineker, known as simply as Monster. Please welcome Mr Eric Hall. Thank you. I've been here so long, when I arrive, I curly hair. <laughs> Eric, welcome to the show. Please take a seat. Thank you, Bubba. Agents in football, I mean, I, I would guess that you think they're a good thing. Jimmy, when you were dealing with agents as, as a player, are, are they generally a force for good in the game? Because for fans, it often seems like they're not. Um, let, me, let me ask that very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> not only because, because I put my point, let me put his point of view in a second. I'll tell you why agents... I used to go for footballers. Because as Jimmy was saying in his little shtick before, that when your player walks into a deal, with a new deal, a new contract, or an old contract, or a new signing, you normally walk in there, there's a manager, unlike Roy Hodgson, there's a manager, there's a chairman, there's a club secretary, and that player is on his own. He's sitting there on his own. And that's, that's why people like me come into business... I think I'm one of the first kind of real agents in the business, not being big-headed, but I think that is true, as Jimmy would probably agree, is that... And then suddenly... No, no, no option, the, the player... <laughs> the player would need somebody on their side. Am I right what I'm saying? Yeah. 
course you are. You're right Thank in you. everything you say. You know. Thank you, Bob Lad. <laughs> Carry on. But there's obviously been a lot Regardless. of... Well, I just remember the Mike Newell incident where my, Mike Newell came out and said he was going to blow the lid off football and the agents... There was, there was no, very bitter man, Mike Newell. No, very bitter. <laughs> he very muffed a bit because I took a couple of players there at Luton when he was Luton manager. And, 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 um, and, and Bill Tomlin, who was then the chairman of Luton, with, with uh, uh, Nick Owen, who was involved... He's now the chairman, Nick Owen, but he was one of the directors then, just the director. Mm-hmm. They said to me, Eric, how much do you want? You know, after the deal was done, a player called David Bell from Russian and Diamonds, he was the player I'm talking about. I thought, oh, that's very kind of you. I'll have da 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 money. And not Mike Newell found out about this. And he said, give him bloody agents money, but that's the business. That the business is like that now. And he, he, he threw to me, very nice, didn't mention my name, but he threw to me in the press, Mike Newell, and he reported me to the FA and they laughed at him. He said, it's not fair agents taking money. He's just a bitter, he was a bitter man, bitter. But some people blame agents, don't they, for the, for the cost of football. They, they blame agents for spiralling wage demands that, in effect, have uh, also driven up TV prices and, and gate costs. Do you think well, only the schmucks would do that, yes. <laughs> no, seriously. Why would we blame an agent for that? I've doing an agent. No, that's, that's down to the football club. Yeah, ask Correct. For Eric Thank here. you. If the football club, they know the deal before they sign the contract, Eric asked for his money, the, the player asked for his money, and they sign the contract, then you can't go moaning. You know, the deal's already done. It's like people moan about season tickets. All the Arsenal tickets of fortune. We can't afford it. Well, if you can't afford it, you don't go. But, no, <laughs> that's a fact. I hate to be... How do you respond to spiralling costs of football? Well, if you can't afford it, don't go. That's, that's a, right. That's Correct, don't go. to that. Mark don't go. Forces. But I've got to tell you... Now, you all know this is an Arsenal fan. Yeah. Is that I think the waiting list for a season ticket now after is nine years. So why would Arsenal worry about? Because he complains about the ticket. They got nine years of people waiting to get their tickets. But shouldn't they care about their fans? But the fans of people buying the t- season tickets. But they're, they're just the rich fans. So yeah, what? But, yeah, but football's football. So sp- what? But football's football's supposed to be for like em- no, you're talking everyone. About, no, it's well, supposed to be like it is for everyone. Basically, grassroots it's fans. Not, you, but, but you, but you don't expect to go to football match for nothing. Bubble up, bubble up. Listen to me. Right, like, like, <laughs> like, yeah, grassroots fans are getting priced out of the game. Like you know, be, you no, they're not. They're getting, they're the getting stadium replaced. before every they're week. Get, Bob they're that. getting replaced by by richer fans, and so it's well, ruining the atmosphere. So of the games club, and stuff. the club want rich fans to keep to pay their wages. I disagree with you, you. Bubba. I, I, I really think you're in the no. wrong here, mate. I've got no, I, no, no, no. I, I just think it, I just think. Let's have a vote. Am I right or wrong? Clap if I'm right. We won't hit that. That'd be finished. That one. Now, don't, uh, it was I'm, just Eric's family. I've got no chance. Sorry, Bob. Look, I'm sure. It's fine. I, I, I just, I, I think it's good that you've been honest. But I, I share Romish's concerns. I think it's a, a shame that fans, working-class football fans, are supposed to go week in, week out. It's a shame oh, I can't have a Rolls Royce or the man that does man, but he can have a escort. No, but, 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 but people have, no, no, have an emotional if you, attachment. If you, no, 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 no. I'm being very factual, Bubbler. It's a shame that some people can live in Bishop's Avenue in Hampstead in a £9 million flat, or they can live in... in, in, in wherever, for 200 grand. It's a shame. But unfortunately, it's about money and the club need to exist too. So the ticket price... The only way to do it... And I've got to give you a tip, probably. You're an officer, boy. Yeah. 
stop going, stop paying. Once all the supporters stop paying and buy the season tickets and the stadium is empty, they put the tickets down. While they can put bums on seats on every match, don't matter if it's Derby playing Arsenal or Stockport playing Arsenal or Man United playing Arsenal, there's bums on seats. So the punters are the ones that are causing the problem. Stop buying your tickets, stop going to the matches, and then they'll change so, the prices. So, clap, clap, clap. You do not clap that. So no, what, what no, you're no, saying... But you, you no, get, being what you're popular. saying as a rampant capitalist is that fans should go on strike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. should you go on strike? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, if you really feel that bad about tickets, don't buy them. And the minute the chairman and the directors and the board will see there's well in a minute, we had 60,000 here this match last year, we only got 12,000. They will pro- drop the prices. Uh, why are they? Why are people still buying tickets? That, but that, but the, the, that's not the, the problem. Is now, but you're talking like a panther. Please be quiet, man. But, but the atmosphere has suffered. The atmosphere is suffering in Premier League football grounds. No, it's it? not. The atmosphere is marvellous. There's people queuing up, big companies to put money. Queuing up is not fun. Queuing up to buy, buy time and buy an advertising. Right, Jimmy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> of it's right. really been great to get Jimmy's you know insight. You right. <laughs> I'm just staying out of it, Eric. We had no. a lovely, loving um, relationship until you got up here. <laughs> <laughs> you made me feel all uncomfortable, Eric. And I don't know what to say anymore. Jimmy knows everything. <laughs> Do you go to watch much football, Eric? No. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford it. <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you what I do. No, because I... He's the I... only one demonstrating. No, because I like to sit and watch Sky Sports on a, on a Saturday and watch all the results come through and, and if I've got players playing for Derby or players playing for Chelsea or Crystal Palace, I like to see what's happening. I like to know I'm an agent, I represent <coughs> lots of players and involved with one or two teams for consultancy. So as, a, as an old pro agent, I don't want to sit and, and agent, I'm an agent, I didn't say pro agent, a pro agent. Thank is you. A, is a professional is agent. A, <laughs> that's on my CV. I got though, carried away. <laughs> if, um, I love to see what's going on. See how my players are doing all the teams. And in terms of the people you represent now, you're, you're branching out just some normal football representation, aren't you? Well, I, always, I, I manage a few artists and showbiz. But Joe Long, anybody know Joe Longthorn? Any current artists? Um, Matt, Matt, uh, um, Matt, uh, Matt, uh, Matt, Matt, uh, No, I, 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 I've managed... He forgot his second name. <laughs> <laughs> you can't waffle now. Max, no, you tell us his second name there, Eric. It's an old you trick. You tell me his second name. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old trick. <laughs> Jimmy, that is the best I've ever heard. Max, 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 you're <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that could be any Next Max question, in the world. <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> I love that. Because I heard you were branching oh, out into representing female sports stars. Oh, well, I'm doing a thing. Well, I'm, I'm, well <laughs> no, I'll tell you something in, com- in, in confidence. There's a certain person we're talking to now and me and my business partner, Michael McPherson, well, I will say, I should give you an exclusive, uh, an old boxing pro called Frank Maloney, who's yep. now become a woman. A lot of people know that. Kelly Maloney. Kelly Maloney, yes. Yes. Yes, yeah, you're all aware of that. One guy very eager. So what we're going to do is set this company up, so, or about to set it up, 
is to spread because of, because of Kelly Maloney, we're going to be representing women in sport. You know, there's a lot of ladies in sport who've got forgotten about. People don't bother. You know, there's fo women footballers, there's women rugby players, there's women, women boxers. You know, so the, the idea will be, you know, firstly, initially, to look after women in sport. In any sport. <laughs> Is, it, is, that, is that out of um, a desire to... Um... To make money, yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it, so are women in sport not effectively represented by agents? As far as I know, no. We, we, we spoke to the Arsenal captain recently, the lady captain, and one or two other people, no. They don't seem to have any agents. And I just think it's, it's even for the media, you know, it's getting very popular, women's football. You never see on occasionally see on TV, maybe on BBC Four or something or whatever. So Frank's very strong about it, or Kelly, Kelly's very strong about it, that we should help ladies in sport. In terms of, in terms of, if we could just try and sit, in terms of Kelly Maloney um, and and uh, Frank Maloney, who's gone through that change and is now Kelly Maloney. Obviously, a lot of people were concerned that within sport, within very male-dominated atmospheres like boxing and within the agent community. Um, Perhaps it would have been difficult for Kelly to have been accepted. It looks as if, though, actually, people have been very open-minded and very decent about it. Now, I think it's a good point you made, Matt. Uh, first one tonight. Is that... <laughs> is that... No, you're right. And that's why he's taken so long to kind of, you know, do what he's done. I mean, he's been sort of dressing up as a lady... ..in his bedroom and his kitchen. She... His what? She is, is Kelly she, Maloney. She, she, she. Well, now she's a she, correct. That's the point I'm making. And we just feel that, that lots of ladies in sport do get ignored and not taken seriously. So I think what he done, Kelly, she done. She. No, it was a he when he done it. Hold on a minute, Bob. Shh, quite please. It was a he when he done it. He's now a she. When he did it... Well, she's now a she. He's now a she. He's now a she. But, no, to answer your question, yeah, very, very... People are not accepted in, in football. You're right. They don't, they, don't, they don't accept women footballers or women rugby players. Why do you think that is? Because they're women. It's just simple I think, I think we started to now, though. I, think I do, yeah. I think it started to now. Well, hopefully, they'll even more that Mel, Kelly and I, our, B and, and our partner, Michael, will be making it people to sit up and take notice. And make a few quid. Of course. <laughs> Only schmucks work for nothing, Bobla. Well, I don't, I don't, <laughs> something, no, something you don't do for money, I understand that. But I'm saying if you set up a business, you've got to obviously take, and an agent, you take commission. I understand that. I, I just wondered if there was any sort of moral reason why you wanted to represent women in sport, whether that was... No, just, I just think they're being ignored. Not so much a moral reason. I don't sound like a Mr Good guy here. I just think that the women in sport, generally, are ignored. Uh, I, I, f I think Eric's seen a little window here. Women's sport's becoming very big... And I think he's one of the first to jump on it. Well, I'm so, one of the so first. No, no, he may be right. I think he's, being, he's a little bit more cuter than he gives on. He's obviously, you know, we all know women's sports becoming more and more televised. So Eric has probably seen a little gap in the market there. I should buy television. Yeah. You said you watched it? Yes. I'm first Just outside up, Dixon's. What <laughs> 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 well, that famous story that Bob Muckhouse used to tell about Dixon's when he was in the golden shot? No, I won't tell it now. It's a very funny story. It's not for, not for this show. Let's do it afterwards. Um, I heard that Queen wrote the song Killer Queen about you. Is that true? I can't tell that story. There's a lady in the audience. Lots of ladies in the audience. No. Well, yeah, yeah but it's They just... wrote a song called Killer Queen. 
I, th I think I think based on the broad sweep of uh, heckling there, people would rather you uh, tell it than not. Do you want to hear the Killer Queen story? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay, I was promoting a group called Queen. <coughs> and we all know Queen was Rissy's monster and lovely soul, Freddie Mercury, the lead singer. He came to see me in my office one day. Now, you won't believe it now. I mean, you believe the story, but he used to fancy me like crazy. He was gay. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Look at the sort of fat Yiddish boy from Bethel Green. But he did fancy me like crazy. So he comes to see me with Roger Taylor, the drummer of Queen. <laughs> and he says to me, we want to play you the new single. So put it on the tape machine and we're playing it. And it's sick, it's with you. Killer Queen, goodbye, you all know the record. I think Freddie Bubba. Crap demo, wouldn't it? What? Crap. <laughs> I can ask that, but I won't. Is that, I said, Freddie, it's going to be a monster hit. Love it. No, you're not listening, my dear. You're not listening to it. I said, I've just heard it. He said, no, you're not listening. So I said, I'll put it on again. And I played it. And I was like, he keeps Moe Shandon in his fancy cabinet, which I did in EMI. Uh, Hair like Mary Antoinette, I used to have my hair perm, would you believe it? That's what I made that joke before, which nobody laughed. And whatever. He said, it's about you. He said, I've written about you. I've written about me. He said, well, I'm the queen. Like, I'm being Freddie talking. I'm the queen, and I can't have you, Eric. You're killing me. You're a killer queen. So, yeah, that's the story. That's a great story. Not really, really. It's a, well, it's a, it's, oh, it's, it's a good song. It's a great, it? it's a great story. It's one of his all-time favourite songs sung about you. You've got to be buzzing with yeah. it, mate. Don't look very happy. I hated it. Exactly. Did, did you hear the, the song that uh, the Ipswich fans write about Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sing it to me, please, again. It goes, uh, oh, Jimmy Bullard. Oh, Jimmy Bullard. You are the love of my life. You are the love of my life. Oh, oh Jimmy, Jimmy Bullard. I'd let you. My wife. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that brings us to the end of uh, another incredible night here at the St James's Studio. Uh, we'll be back next month. Uh, the uh, guests will be announced uh, online shortly, uh, and the show will be broadcast on Talksport uh, a week on Sunday. So do listen out for yourselves. Can we finish, <laughs> can we finish with a song? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy Bullard. <laughs> that, everybody. Everybody. Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm cringing. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Please don't get on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> do listen back to it Just, and see which bits get cut out. Can we say bye nicely and then uh, part, we have a nice drink, everyone go home happy. Exactly. Let's, <laughs> while they still can, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's, let's end this madness now. Uh, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all uh, for coming out tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Please give uh, a massive reception for Mr. Eric Hall, <laughs> for Mr. Ramesh Ranganathan, <laughs> and Mr. Jimmy Bullard. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I've been Matt Ford. Good night. Well, some of the stories there, I mean, were frankly unbroadcastable uh, and uh, not all of them um, were, were broadcast to the end. Uh, if you would like to come to the live shows and hear the bits that don't make it uh, onto, uh, onto the show that we broadcast and indeed podcast, uh, then again, check out the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. The next one's on Thursday, the 23rd of November and features legendary manor, manager Dave Bassett, who got promotions with Sheffield United, three with Wimbledon, one with Nottingham Forest, and managed so many other clubs as well. And uh, the legend, Star of Live at the Apollo, and uh, 8 out of 10 cats, John Richardson. Thanks for downloading. If you've enjoyed it, please do tell your pals and uh, subscribe. And uh, as soon as the next one's done, we'll get it straight up. Cheers. <laughs>